Good morning. So I'm really thankful to be here today. All of you gathered here and the folks that are online. And um, I even heard someone told me that there might even be like a satellite gathering at a Titan's tailgate today. Like, I, I'm like, that's awesome. It, what have we learned in the past couple of years but to do church anywhere? I'm really thankful for that. It is really fun to guest preach. Um, and so Russ and I had talked about a date to make this happen and, and trying to figure that out. And, and, and then this one worked out and he was like, oh yeah, and we're going to be in Romans. I was like, oh really? Uh, halfway thought about choosing another date, to be honest with you, because Romans is not like a gimme or a softball, you know, toss in the, in the preaching world. It's, um, it's tricky. It can be tricky. But sometimes God gives you what you need in the week that it's given to you. And so I've, it's been a gift to me to sit in this chapter of Romans this week, and so I'm thankful for that. Uh, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth today and the thoughts of all of us gathered here be acceptable to you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Paul is a really interesting guy. Those of you who have been following along in this series, you know that by now. There's some things I would might guess about Paul. If you've ever studied the Enneagram, I would guess probably that Paul's an eight. Just, just guessing. Or if you've done the Myers-Briggs personality test, I'm thinking that Paul might be like an ESTJ. But those are all guesses. Complete conjecture on my part, but there are some things that we know about Paul for sure from reading his letters especially. One is that he is verbose. He goes on and on and on about things that um, are really important to him. The other thing we cannot doubt is his passion. Maybe that's why he's so verbose. I find myself a lot of times talking to Paul when I'm reading and saying, come on, Paul, just boil it down for us. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. There's no way we can hit everything in a whole chapter. We're going to boil down part of that. I think Paul, more than anything else, really, just wants to make sure that we have what he has, that we get to experience what he has experienced. He wants us to feel free just as he feels finally free. He wants that for the folks at the church in Rome that he's writing this letter to. And he didn't know it yet because he didn't know we would be reading this, right? But he wants that for us too. He wanted it for everyone. He doesn't want to leave any room for chance that we might somehow not get it. I think that's one reason he's so verbose. So up to this point in Romans so far, um, we have heard Paul make sure that everyone knows that we are beginning at the same place. We are all starting at the same playing field. There is no group or no individual that starts ahead of another when it comes to this race of faith that he's describing. We begin together as sinners. He's telling that to this church in Rome. There is no room in his message for religious hypocrisy because we are all beginning justified by faith. God offers this rightness, he says, 
this way of getting things back in alignment, back in sync, back on kilter. And most importantly, it is offered for everyone. And we've learned from Paul so far, as Russ put it a couple weeks ago, I think he said, God doesn't respond to what we are doing. We are responding to what God is giving us, a free gift of a new way of living that's just amazing, a way of living that makes suffering produce perseverance and perseverance that produces character and character that produces hope. And this is a hope that seeps into us so deeply into our bones that it cannot disappoint us. And wow, did Tim Cotham and Jeff Gandy's story and the story of Hope Center preach that last week? What an amazing witness to that hope. And that brings us to Romans 6, where we start today. Paul begins with anticipation of the naysayers. Remember, he's writing to a church. There's going to be some naysayers there. He's either already had a heads up or is anticipating that there are people coming at him yelling, there is nothing free, Paul. What are you talking about? If there is no law, it is all about grace. What is going to keep everyone in line? Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should we just throw in the towel and be like, woohoo, free for all? No rules for any of us. Grace is, grace is winning. How would that work? How are we, can we expect for people to act right or just or loving without any rules? In the first century, the law was the way to salvation. And Paul reminds them that this is not our doing. Remember, this new life is made possible not by what we do, but what God is doing. It's God's grace that makes it possible to live in this alive way alive in Christ. And then Paul's verbose nature kind of kicks in again. And he elo eloquently says in a whole bunch of different ways that when we surrender to Christ, the old broken ways are over and the life of true love and living has begun. Here are some examples of the way he says that in Romans 6. In 6.5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And then another way in 6.8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And in 6.11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He goes on many more times just within this chapter, to say, through surrender and death to old life, we get to enter into a new life in Christ and become slaves, not to sin, but to new thought processes, to a new way of being, to a more generous way of love, living from our identity as a beloved child of God. I remember reading these words of Paul when I was younger. And I was a part of a different group of naysayers to this invitation of grace that Paul was, Paul's giving. I just didn't think I fit the mold 
of someone who could be described as alive in Christ. It wasn't so much that like I was stuck in a spiral of unworthiness, you know, that plagues so many of us that we're not worthy of this. It wasn't that I was stuck in that. It was more just like I'm kind of introverted and I'm kind of a serious person. And when I thought of people that others would describe as alive in Christ, I was thinking of people who had dramatic stories or people with power in their message, like Martin Luther King or uh, Mother Teresa or, I don't know, Rick Warren. People who you could look at and say, now they are alive in Christ. Tim Cotham and Jeff Gandy, last week. We could all look at that and say, yes, they are living alive in Christ. I thought drama or extreme was essential to the new life story. But as I've gotten older and started paying attention, I've noticed God reveals many different ways that the story of powerful transformation unfolds around me and how I fit into it. It's not one prescription. Even noticing one small thing, one small step at a time, one degree of change is transformation. Intentionally remembering and paying attention to this is something that God calls us to do. So let's listen to how this is presented in the message version of Romans. This is verses 12 to 14. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't even give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead. It's God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Giving the stiff arm to negativity, the stiff arm to evil, and staying as close as we can to the love of God that's also being alive in Christ. One of the ways we can do that is to pay attention to the transformation that's all around us and staying in sort of this way of wonder, of saying like, oh my gosh, look, wow, that's God. When I see this transformation over here and this change, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow, look at that. Paying attention to the way a fallen dead tree in the forest gives way to a new habitat for mushrooms and animals to inhabit it. It's transformation. Paying attention to the way a flooded riverbank makes a new path, new places for vegetation to grow. Paying attention to letting go of one stage of your life and moving into a new stage of living. 
new relationships that come about because of that change. It's transformation. The way that every day there is a sunrise and a sunset, but they always paint a new picture in the sky. What about when we realize the root of an anger that has been taking hold of us? And we realize that and acknowledge it and we let it go. That realization then frees us for forgiveness. Death to life. The Lord gives us these signs as reminders that change is a constant in our life. It's not something new that pops up here and there. It is a rhythm of our living. If we are not growing, we are dead. If we are not changing, we are dead. Literally, physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Our present moment yields to the future and becomes the past in the next moment. This is the constant that we live in. Small increments of growth and change are not dramatic in the moment, but over time, they become dramatic and impactful. In this passage also, in verses 12 through 14, we hear the invitation to enter into this part of, faith, of this faith journey wholeheartedly. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly, he says, and full time into God's way of doing things. All of who we are, just jump in. Later in Romans, Paul talks about the spiritual gifts that come with following Christ. All of those things are required. We use all of who we are to jump into this life. And it's who we can become with this new foundation that God is calling us towards. You know how like when you have a teacher who believes in you? Not just believes in your abilities, but like believes in you and what you're capable of. How much better then do you learn? How much more are you willing to jump into learning and to do your best and to study harder? Well, that resembles this new path that, of, that life beyond the grip of fear and death brings. That wholeheartedness that God is asking for. God is the one who offers this gift because of a belief in us. We are God's children, beloved children. And this new identity that we get in Christ, this belovedness, when we live out of that identity, the world becomes changed just through our transformation and living in that way. The ripple effect is In the 12-step world, many of us are uh, recovering from what is called stinking thinking. Have you ever heard of that? Stinking thinking. Lies that convince us that we should stay enslaved to sin. Lies that we are not worthy of this new life. Fear 
that persuades us that rules are the only way to accomplish a righteous life? Clouded sight that narrows our vision to exclude many from God's love? Stinking thinking that gives us thought processes that prescribe a cemented view of what being alive in Christ can mean for each of us, for all of us. Paul calls us to let go of all of that. The verses in Romans 6 that we may be the most familiar with are the last two. 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Have you heard that phrase before? For the wages of sin is death. But the gifts of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. How many of us know that phrase out of this chapter more than any other? I have a leadership coach, and I was telling her I was preaching on this chapter this week, and she told me about the first time she heard this verse, or really heard it. She had heard it before, but she was at a funeral, and they got to this familiar phrase, the wages of sin is death, and she said, but then I heard the second part of the verse. I had never heard it before in this way. The gifts of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's that God's gift is being alive in Christ. Listen to how it's said in the message. But now that you've found, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus our Master. God's gift is real and eternal life. Being alive in Christ, not necessarily in a dramatic way, but in the beautiful, ordinary ways that God has placed around us and in us and through us and among us. And we don't have to wait until we physically die to experience this. Eternal living starts now with surrender. In the first six chapters of Rome, Paul outlines what the beginning of this life of Christ looks like. It's called justification is the word he uses. And then starting in chapter 7 and all the way through, he's going to talk about sanctification, the way that we grow in love with Christ and develop in our spiritual journey. But the teaser is in this verse in 23. The teaser for how sanctification can begin, he lobs out there for us just to get ready. Discovering 
the delight of listening to God. What does it mean to listen to God? How do we do that? If you've ever taken a communication class, you have studied something called active listening. Any, anybody communications major out here? Active listening. It's like what you do to make sure that the other person you're talking with knows that you are paying attention and listening. You give physical cues, you lean in, you give body language, visual clues, you use your eyes to convey that you're giving them feedback, that you're listening. How do we do that with God? First, we surrender. We sang about that this morning. We hear it from Paul. We surrender. That's not a comfortable thought here in the Western world. But it is essential as a follower of Jesus to practice that. To surrender our habits, our heartaches, our irritations, our thought processes. Admitting that, you know, we're headed in a new way. We choose to lean in and listen to the love that God has for us and live out of that pool, that deep well of belovedness that is abundant. Talking about surrender is much easier than doing it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. The second thing is actively listening requires a learning posture. Acknowledging that we may not know where we're going, the way forward for our lives, a willingness to say, hmm, I might be wrong about that. I don't know. We might be thinking not so clearly about that. We might need to look at that. And I'll give you a great example of this. In the beginning of Murray Hills Church, I may not have been asked to guest preach here. But in 2010, I think it was 2010, Russ and the elders in this congregation led the congregation through an extensive um, scriptural deep dive and reconsidered the held belief of the congregation about women's leadership roles in the church. Many of you probably were here during that time and experienced that. But I'll tell you another piece of the story that was happening outside of this place while you were doing it. I didn't know that that was going on here. But as I went to the swimming pool that summer, I had people coming up and asking me some curious questions. Or in the dry cleaner, uh, in the waiting room at the dentist office, I remember a conversation with someone. They wanted to know about what I had heard from God about why I felt called to preach or lead in the church. They wanted to sit and talk with me about why it was that they hadn't considered before about their daughter growing up and being a voice for the Lord. They wanted to talk with me about why they got a knot in their stomach when they were thinking about this, but their head and their heart felt the call of God to reconsider something they believed. I remember coming home and saying to my husband, there's something happening at Murray Hills Church. 
there's something happening there that is the work of the Spirit. Death to an old thought and freed by God to a new way of thinking. A witness of transformation and being alive in Christ. A willingness to listening to God through scripture, through prayer, but also the humility to listen, a learning posture. It was beautiful and amazing and continues to be to see a body of people grow and be transformed. And that ripple effect, it's dramatic. And third, listen, we acknowledge together as a body of believers and followers of Jesus that God has and is and will give us what we need for living a real and eternal life. And so we pay attention and we listen. I had a coach uh, one time that said, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. It's one of the reasons that we participate in spiritual practices as followers of Jesus. So that being near to Christ becomes a permanence in our life. And so today, um, I want to share a listening practice with you that has been around for centuries. It's a prayer practice that probably has impacted my own spiritual formation more than any other thing. Like more than seminary. It's called Centering Prayer. It's a prayer to practice surrender. It's a prayer that helps us practice letting go and returning to Christ. And um, what's interesting about this prayer is that it only uses one word. And you get to choose the word. Today I'm choosing, oops, sorry. Today I'm choosing the word Jesus. But you can choose the word that you would like, Father, Abba. It could be a verb, love, abide, embrace. Um, And we're going to use this word to help us return to God while we sit in stillness, in silence. Now, stillness in and of itself sometimes is the the biggest surrender for anyone because we don't practice silence and stillness in our culture very much, right? But... We want to come into that today because the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Jesus went away to pray in the stillness and aloneness of his, of his world. So as we enter into this, you'll use your word. That, so if you start thinking about the Titans game or what you're going to eat for lunch or all the stuff you have to do on Monday, Jesus, you return to God. You let your thoughts go and you return to God's presence. Don't beat yourself up if in the few short minutes that we're doing this, it, you have to do that 87 times. Don't worry about that because that's 87 times that you're returning to God that you wouldn't have before. I'll keep track of the time so you don't have to. You can just be. This is an ancient 
prayer practice. It's been around for centuries. And so if, there's, if, this, if this resonates with you, there are plenty of websites and apps that help you to do this. I have an app on my phone that, that keeps time for me so that I don't have to do that when I'm using it alone. But I ask you just to trust in this, in this moment today. You don't know me very well, but you know Russ, and he asked me, and so we can trust this uh, in the moment. We're going to do it for five minutes. Now, for some of you, you'll be like, oh, five minutes. I thought she was getting ready to do the full 20 minutes, you know, that I've done before. Some of you, you're like, five minutes? You know, we don't even watch videos that are that long. We'll move through the discomfort that we'll have in that first minute or so. That's when we get to the surrender of just being and listening and being present with God. So I invite you to just to take a couple of deep breaths. Make sure your exhale is longer than your inhale. And then we'll be in silence. And I'll watch the time. And then when we get to the end of our five minutes, I'll use uh, words to close us in prayer. And so I invite you now into just that practice of surrender. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your presence. We love you. We trust you. Today we place ourselves in your loving hands with surrender and confidence in all the love of our heart. Thank you for the gift of your grace that sets us free to live real and eternal lives that focus on what matters to you. So we pray today that we can be the vessels of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.